Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our The Time Is Now series, which walks through the book of Nehemiah. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Before we get into uh, our time in the Word of God, of course, you can take your Bible, go to Nehemiah chapter 8, grab there, and, and you can turn, grab the Bible, you can turn there, Nehemiah chapter 8. And uh, before we uh, get right into the message, I want to give you just a couple of prayer requests, of course, um, just some, some things for our church family to be thinking about and praying for. Of course, many of you know Tony uh, Serrano and uh, Tony, uh, his mom, her health has really been going downhill the last, um, really the last few years, but specifically the last few months, and they're putting his mom on hospice this week. And so if you'd, if you'd pray for Tony and Mrs. Serrano, Miss Serrano, Tony's mom, and um, my dad and I spent some time there with Tony yesterday, and uh, just let's just pray for him. And then also want to be in prayer, uh, Miss Janet uh, Carpenter, she's in the hospital. Um, they had some uh, water around her lungs and some different things going on, and so uh, they're running a bunch of tests and different things. So if you would pray for Janet, I know they're probably watching this morning, we want to pray for them. And then uh, on Friday, on Friday, I traveled down to Tri-Cities and went and saw our friend Bill McKinney. Bill turned 91 on Friday. And uh, we've spent, spent the last seven or eight birthdays together, and uh, of course, we celebrate the, our birthday week. We always have cake, so I took him coconut cream pie, and he hates red velvet cake, but I took him one anyway. And, uh, <clears throat> but he said to tell the church hello, and you pray for Bill and uh, for his health down there. So I know there's a lot of prayer requests. Some of you have something on your mind this morning that you're praying about, all of us, a lot of, our, a lot of hands going up. And so let's be praying for those in need and uh, continue to pray for each other. And I'm, I'm thankful that we have a God who cares and hears and a God who answers prayer. And uh, sometimes the answer is not what we think, though, huh? Man, sometimes God says, no, that, that's not what I need to do. And we look back and we, we look back at a situation and we say, wow, I guess, I guess God did know what he was doing. I guess he is God, and I'm not. So I'm still thankful that he can, he can hear prayer and answer it. Well, Nehemiah chapter 8 this morning, and uh, before we uh, get into uh, the, the reading today, I want to ask you if you've ever had some plans, some plans that went a different way than what you'd planned. You know, you have some plans that went a different way uh, than what you planned. I'm thinking about plans you make to surprise somebody, and it gets ruined. Or plans that you make that you want to maybe spend time with a friend, and so uh, you recommend the restaurant, because last time you ate there, it was awesome, but you go this time, not so awesome. A few years ago, I had a friend in town, and I went to a, a little Mexican restaurant here in town that I love, and went there, and I'd, I was talking it up, man, you're going to love this place, it's just a little hole in the wall, and you're going to like it, and we got there, and I literally, up to that point, I had never taken someone there who did not like it, up till that day, but on that day, we're sitting, and we're eating lunch, and he got about halfway through his lunch, and just kind of pushed the plate back, and I said, are you, are you full? He goes, no, it's just really not that great. sorry. I don't know what to say after that. Like, I'm the one who was like, no, it's a really good restaurant. And his response is, meh, it's really not that great. Man, it didn't go like I planned. I think when I think of things not going as planned, I'm going to tell on myself. I think of Hannah and I and our very first Christmas together. First or second Christmas, maybe it was second Christmas. And we... Um, I might have been third, man. I might have just been last Christmas now that I think about it. It was one of our early Christmases together. And uh, I remember we had just gone on staff at Lakewood, so it would have been our second Christmas, third, somewhere in there. Anyway, I don't even know now. And uh, we had just gone on staff working as a youth pastor at um, Lakewood Baptist Temple where my dad pastored. And uh, if, if I'm honest with you, as a staff member, I didn't make a lot of money kind of like our staff members here. They all were going to say amen right then. But. And so I remember um, I had heard in Bible college, you know, when you get in ministry, when you get in ministry, uh, if your wife's not working a job, make sure that, make sure that she knows she has, has some money. And at the time, we sat down, we budgeted everything, and we went through, and, and it was, you ready for this? It was 20 bucks a week that she was going to be able to get. 
$20 a week. And we were both excited, man. 20 bucks a week, Hannah, you don't have to tell me. We don't have to decide what you do with it. I mean, listen, you could buy three coffees. I don't care. It was $20 a week. And I remember that for that year, we got to Christmas. We got to Christmas and we were doing our uh, Christmas gifts. And she said, okay, I have, of course, our Christmas gifts. We're like, hey, I got you a $7 gift card to Starbucks. You know, yes. Uh, two and a half coffees, you know. And I remember... Um, Remember, she said, uh, hey, I got you one more gift, one more gift. And she brought out this ball wrapped in paper. And I was like, what is that? And I grabbed it, and I could hear there was some, some change inside. And I open it, and it's this glass piggy bank. That's what it was, a glass piggy bank. With only the slot to put money in, you couldn't get money out. So you only had to put it in, and then if you wanted the money, you had to break the bank literally. And I remember she handed that to me. And I, at first, I was like, is that what I think it is? And I looked at her and I was like, what have you been, do you have, do you have another job? Where, where does all this money come from? And, and I'm sorry to say this, I'm, I'm still ashamed of it. I got very upset. I was really upset. I was like, where's this money from? Why, what are we, how, ah, I don't know any answers. Tell me. And she said, babe, she said, you've given me $20 a year or $20 a week. <laughs> Wasn't that bad. She's like, I, I haven't been working and my allowance has been that $20 a week. She said, I've spent, or I've saved all of it except for $40. She said, honey, here's a thousand dollars for us to start this savings account for something that we had talked about getting. And again, I'm ashamed to tell you, but I was upset. I was, I, I was upset. I was like, how dare you? How dare you? I, and I, I, I was like, I gave you that money for you to spend on you. I didn't give you that money to give it back to me. It's your money. And she goes, well, I wanna give it back to you. Since it's my money, I'm allowed to do that. And I was like, no, you're not. You're not allowed to do with your money what I said you shouldn't do with your money. That's your money. Don't give it to me. It's your money. Do something with it, not for me. And I remember, I, I, I hate to say it, but there was this, like, this, this argument that we had, and I was so frustrated. Later, I apologized, as a good husband should. And I apologized. I said, babe, I really am sorry. And, and we, we worked it out. We forgive me. And we worked everything out. And she said, honey, that did not go like I planned. <laughs> She's like, here I was. I thought, man, I've saved up $1,000 for us to invest and, and us to buy what we've talked about. I know we're low on funds right now. And, I, and she, her mindset, think about it. Her mindset was, this is going to be a great day. This is going to be a great gift. This Dennis is going to be so happy and overjoyed. He might even buy me an extra Starbucks today. I don't know what was going through her mind, but what she had planned was not how it went. I want you to understand this something this morning. That often in life, because of our decisions and because of our response, we miss out on what God has planned. God has some incredible intentions. God has some incredible plans for you and for me. But because of our response, because of our decisions, just like me on that day, because of my response and my decisions, I missed out on the full benefit of what she had intended. And you and I, we miss out on the full benefits that God has intended because of our own selfishness and our own pride. This is something that was common with the people of Israel. They were missing out on what God had in store for them. They were missing out on, on blessings that, that God had for them. But before we get to them, I just want to be very upfront and clear this morning to help us understand God's plan for your life. You say, Pastor Dennis, how could you know God's plan for my life? I know God's plan for your life. God's plan for your life is the same plan that he has for my life. 
All right, Pastor Dennis, what's God's plan for my life? There's, there's a number of things that we could look at in Scripture, but there's two things specifically that we're going to see this morning that God desires for your life. God has these two things planned out for your life every single day. Every single day, these two things, God has them planned out for your life. Number one, God desires that you would live a fulfilled life. God desires that you would be fulfilled every day, that you would be content and fulfilled. And I'm not just talking about belongings. I'm talking about within your soul, that you would have, uh, he termed it this way, that you would have clear rest for your soul, that your soul would just be at peace and, and totally fulfilled. He said it this way in John chapter 10, verses nine and 10. He said, I am the door. By me, if, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and, and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and, and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Do you see that phrase right there, I have come, that they might have a life, but not just any life, that they might have it more abundantly. The word abundant there, abundantly, it means super abounding. Abundantly, it means uh, exceeding abundantly above and beyond measure. It would connect to the word pasture. This is a cool study, and I'm not preaching these verses. I, I honestly thought, well, maybe we should just skip everything and come to these verses because they're awesome, but we'll do that another day. But the word pasture in verse number nine, do you see what he says? When he says, I am the door by me, if any man enter in, uh, he shall be saved and, and shall what? He's gonna go in and out and find pasture. Think about a sheep in the pasture. What's in the pasture? Well, there's plenty of space. There's plenty of nourishment. There's complete protection. And the ability to go in and out, it simply means, man, you, you have freedom. There's freedom in Christ but it's a fulfilled freedom that he has designed specifically for us. It connects to the word abundant. Man, God wants you to live an abundant, fulfilled Christian life. That's what God has for you and God has for me. Well, what, what's, the, what's the second thing, Pastor Dennis? The second thing, God wants you to live a fulfilled life. The second thing is God wants you to live a joy-filled life. A joy-filled life. John 15, 11, these things, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and or so, so that your joy might be, what's the word? Full. full. The word joy, it means to be exceedingly joyful, to experience calm delight and great gladness. So God's desire for you is that you would experience an abundant and fulfilled life and a joy-filled life. Now, does that mean that there's never trials? No. Does that mean that there's never downtimes? No. Does it mean that every day is supposed to be, uh, my mom would say, a hunky-dory day without challenges? No. No, the truth is that his desire that I would be fulfilled and that I would have a joy-filled life really means that no matter what's going on, I can trust him. No matter what's going on, I can have joy. No matter what's going on, I'm fulfilled in my relationship with him and his control and his working in my life. I have joy and fulfillment. Why? Because it is completely found in him. Now, I say all of that this morning to come to our passage in Nehemiah. <clears throat> Because the people in Nehemiah, if you've been with us in our study, the people in Nehemiah, they for years have been trying to be fulfilled and find joy in their identity of um, the nation. If you, if you look at it, the people of Israel up until this point, I might be getting ahead of myself, we're okay. The people of Israel up until this point, of course, Nehemiah, we know the story a little bit about Nehemiah and 
And we know that Nehemiah was a, a cupbearer in the king's palace in Susa or Shushan, uh, 850 miles away from Jerusalem. And Nehemiah's brother, Hanani, traveled to Jerusalem. And, and in Jerusalem, he discovered that the city was broken down. The walls were broken down and the gates were burned. And, and so Hanani got really burdened about that, traveled 850 miles back to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah, the king's cupbearer, of course, both of them were, were Hebrew in nationality, but they had never lived in Jerusalem. Neither one of them have ever really even been there outside of maybe a trip or two. But Hanani comes back from this trip and, and Nehemiah says to him, hey, Hanani, what, what's going on in, in, in Jerusalem? And Hanani tells him this horrific information that the, the city is broken down and that the walls are broken down and the gates are burned thereof. And, and the, the, the people, they're in affliction and they're, they're, they're a reproach to the name of God. And Nehemiah begins to get burdened. And for four months, he sits on that burden and prays about that burden and then finally goes to the king and the king says, what's wrong with you? What's going on? And Nehemiah says, I have sorrow of heart because of my people. And through a number of events, God brings Nehemiah all the way to Jerusalem. He stands before the people and says, hey, I'm here to help you build a city wall. But we went, we went through and we remember and we'll see it again today. It was never about the walls it was never about the walls. The, the book of Nehemiah is not about Nehemiah building walls. The book of Nehemiah is about people being restored in their relationship and fulfillment with God. And so he said, hey, let's build these walls. And the people said, okay, we're on board. And in 52 days, through circumstances and opposition and, and through hardship and through uh, sometimes even suffering a little bit of defeat, they still succeeded. And because of that, 52 days, the walls were built, the gates were set up. And in Nehemiah chapter number seven, Nehemiah said, all right, let the singers be put out, let the guards be put out, and let the Levites begin to preach the gospel, begin to preach the truth of God and the law to the people. And in Nehemiah chapter number eight, we saw that the people, last week they had that aha moment. Remember with me? They got it. Well, what, what'd they get? They got, you know what? We have neglected God. We've neglected his word. And the people began to have a hunger for the word of God. And, and Ezra stood up. Remember, Ezra stood up on that platform and began to read the word of God to them. And for four to six hours, they were in and out of Bible studies. And they were in and out of these small groups with Nehemiah preaching the word of God. And then other men of God beginning to expound what was in the truth that they were reading. That all happened. That all happened on the first week of October. It says the first day of the seventh month. Seventh month for the Hebrew calendar would be the month of October. So the first day of October, they're experiencing this great revival. It's actually Rosh Hashanah, the, the uh, Hebrew New Year would be that time. And so they have this Rosh Hashanah time where they set aside uh, these, this week for some things. October 10th would be the Day of Atonement. Then um, uh, October 15th, they would begin the, the Feast of the Tabernacles. We're going to look at all this today, so I'll connect all of these things. But basically, what we're coming to in, in Nehemiah chapter number 8 is the people of God experiencing revival. You know what they were experiencing? They were experiencing that God had some things planned for them that they weren't discovering up until this point. God had some intentions for them. This morning, I want you and I to understand the same principle that I said a moment ago, just as it was with me and Hannah, her intention was excitement. Her plans was me saying, man, babe, thank you so much. But because of my selfishness, I ruined it. I want us to understand that God's plan in your life is fulfillment and joy. But often because of us and our decisions, we ruin it. And so I want to encourage you this morning, make a decision. God, help me not to ruin living out your plans for my life this week. Notice some thoughts with me, if you will, Nehemiah chapter 8. Let's stand together. We're just going to read a few verses out of Nehemiah chapter number 8. Beginning in verse number 13. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse number 13. On the second day, were gathered together the chief of the fathers and all the people, the priests and the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which, was the, which the Lord had uh, commanded by Moses, they found written that the children of Israel should dwell in booths or, or tents. 
in the feast of the seventh month. And that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mountain, fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick, thick trees to make booths or tents, as it is written. So the people went forth. And they brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim and all the congregation of them that were come out against the, of the excuse me, were come again out of the captivity made booths. And they said under the booths, for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, Unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was a very great gladness. Also day by day, from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. Chapter number nine. Now, in the 20 and fourth day of this month, The children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them and the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Again, this morning, we're going to find the people of Israel recognizing that they weren't experiencing what God had planned. You see, God has fulfillment and joy planned for your life, and he had the same thing in store for them. He wanted them to know what it meant to be fulfilled, to be content in their relationship with him. He wanted them to understand real joy. And today, Nehemiah chapter 8, they're finally understanding. We are never going to find fulfillment and joy apart from a relationship with God. And I want us to understand the same principle. We're gonna come down, that's, that's, it's all gonna boil down to that thought this morning, that we will never find real fulfillment and real joy outside of our relationship with God. And I hope that'll be a help to us. And so let's pray, and then we'll discover these truths today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you just take a moment and ask God to, to speak to you. Why don't you take a, just a second and, Ask God to help you understand this morning. God, help each of us to understand this morning the the thought that fulfillment only comes from him. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of your word. Thank you for it. Thank you for the Bible today. Thank you for how you desire to use it in each of our lives. And Lord, I want to come and I want to pray that, that you would help me today to convey your truth. God, we need you. I don't want to hear my mind or my thoughts, Lord. We want to hear from you today, your word. And God, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us. And God, if there is someone here today that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, Father, I pray that today would be the day they put their faith and their trust completely in you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we look at these verses this morning, we're just going to come really face to face with the thought that if we're going to find fulfillment, if we're going to find joy that God intends, then we have to have a relationship with him. But I want us to see a few things that are going to lead us down that road this morning, that if we're going to experience fulfillment and joy that God intends in our lives, then we need to know that fulfillment and joy come as we seek him consistently. Fulfillment and joy in your life will come as you and I seek God consistently. If we come to the passage this morning in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 13, down through through number 18, what we read taking place there is this Rosh Hashanah taking place, that uh, that, uh, um, Hebrew New Year. And what they're doing, they come together on that first day. We read about that last week, and they gather together around the Word of God. But what we read taking place in verse number 13 down through verse number 18 is, is now it's the, it's the second day. The second day comes about, and, and what do they begin to do on the second day? Well, the second day, they come back to Ezra, and, and it's led by the, the, the leaders of the group. The, uh, we can read it there in verse number 13. 
go back one page in my Bible. Verse number 13, when it says that on the second day there were gathered the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites unto Israel the scribe. And what were they gathered together? They were gathered together again to be in the word of God. You see, what had taken place in their lives on that first day, what we looked at last week of them wanting to just get in the word of God and be close to God, it wasn't just a one-time deal. No, here we are on the second day. Here they are on the second day wanting more. And I want us to understand this morning, you can go to even verse number 18. It says this, that also day by day, from the first unto the last, he read in the book of the law of God. You know what I discover when I come to these, uh, these verses in Ezra chapter number eight, I discovered that the people, the people, they were not just about seeking God once. Hey, they're finally getting it. They're finally, what are they finally getting? We've got to seek him consistently. Hey, this can't be a one-time decision. We won't take time to do this, but over the course of the next 24 days, and we're going to see it in just a moment, they would celebrate some different feasts. Now, they were called to celebrate three feasts. The Hebrews were every year. They were called to celebrate the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of the Trumpets, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Two of the feasts are in our passage before us today, the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Trumpets would be that time of Rosh Hashanah, the uh, Feast of Sukkot. The, uh, maybe you've seen the, uh, the different trumpets that uh, many Hebrews would have that... Uh, um, uh, oh, what is the, the shofar? Thank you. The shofar is that trumpet that they would use, and this is something they would use to celebrate. But the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles, I don't have time to get into all of them this morning. You can go to Leviticus 23, and you can read about them. But here's what was supposed to take place. All of the feasts, the Feast of the Passover would be usually in April, something like that, March or April. The Feast of Trumpets and Tabernacle would be in October. Now, what were the feasts supposed to do? The feasts were supposed to direct attention to God. That's what the feasts were about. They were about the people directing attention to God. Now, all of them have some symbols and some different things that happen in them, but if you take the feast and you boil them down to what are they supposed to do, they were clearly drawing attention to God. Hey, we want you to get your eyes off of you. This is God. I want you to get your eyes off of you, and I want you every so often through the year just to refocus upon me. I even want you to do that every week. Have one day that you set aside that is totally for me. Why? Because it's going to help you just focus upon on me. Well, here's what they discovered in, in Nehemiah chapter number eight. They discovered that for hundreds of years, they had not been fulfilling or going through the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles like they were supposed to. We just read it. And we don't have time really to go through and read it all again. But if you were in there, if you were uh, listening as we read that intro part, the, the, the verses that they got through the scroll, they got through the reading and they realized Hey, we're supposed to be making tents. We're supposed to be dwelling for, for a week. We're supposed to be dwelling uh, outside of our houses. Well, what was that supposed to do? It was to remind them of the years of wandering. It was to remind them that for 40 years, they as a people wandered without a place because of disobedience. Remember Moses? coming to the promised land and saying, we need to go in, but the people feared. And so God said, fine, I'm going to put you in the wilderness for 40 years and you're going to dwell in tents and you're going to wander about because of your disobedience, but I'm still going to take care of you. And so they had not dwelt in booths, this Feast of Tabernacles, that would be the second part of the, of the, the month of October, starting on the 15th. They had not done that. They hadn't been doing it. They had missed a complete section of the feast that was supposed to draw their attention back to the Lord. And all of this is important because you know what the people did? Verse number 17, it tells us that ever since Joshua, for hundreds of years, they were not observing the feast like they were supposed to. They finally did it. Nehemiah 8, they finally did it. They begin observing the feast and they send out the announcement. Hey, tell everybody to dwell in booths and dwell in tents. Why? It's just going to direct our attention back to God. And I want you to look at verse number 17, what it says. It says, for since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. They were doing it then. And notice the last part. And there was very great, what's the word? Gladness. Hey, you know what they were finding? 
They were finding joy. How'd they find joy? Because day in and day out, for weeks, they were seeking the Lord. And for day in and day out, God was, you can look at it, God was convicting them of sin, and God was convicting them of the sin of their fathers. For years, we haven't done this. But you know what they did? They said, God, we recognize our sin. God, we turn our attention back to you. And as soon as their attention was focused back upon the Lord from seeking him consistently, joy came right into their life. Can I tell you this morning that we will find fulfillment and we will have joy when we have a consistent pursuit of God. We find joy and we find true fulfillment when we seek him consistently. You see, you and I, we can pursue a lot of things, don't we? We can pursue a lot of things and fail to pursue after God. A pursuit of God says, God, I want you in my life no matter what. A pursuit of God says, God, I want you to work in my life outside of anything. God, I want you to lead every decision and every direction that I go. God, I want you in my mind. God, I want you in my thoughts. God, I want you as an extreme part of my life each and every day. That's a pursuit of God. You see, we pursue a raise at work. We pursue that vacation. We pursue the, that experience or that hobby. We pursue a degree or pursue a, a trophy in a sport. And, and then we get upset when we're challenged to pursue God. Well, I give him one day a week, don't I? Well, I, I go to church. I go to church for a good hour. Man, pastor preached an hour, to the hour today. He preached for 50 minutes today. We were in church for an hour and a half. That's like bonus. And listen, this morning, all of those things that we pursue, they, they aren't wrong. They just become wrong when I place them above God. When I pursue them more than God. But not only does our pursuit matter, it matters that as we pursue him and he speaks to us, we act upon it. I'm not going to talk about it today because we talked a lot about it last week. But God, if you pursue God, he's going to speak to your heart. Right? He said, seek me and you will find me. Hey, knock and I will open. You know, what, you know what we do sometimes? We're like, hey, I'm seeking God. I'm pursuing him. And God speaks to us. And we're like, nope, not that area. Nope, don't talk to me about that one. Nope, not that room of my life, God. I'm glad these people in Nehemiah chapter 8, they said, okay, God, we're going to pursue you. Oh, man, we've been missing this. God, we're not only going to pursue you, but we're going to follow what you say. God, we're not only going to pursue you. Can I say it this way? We're going to obey your word. And then you know what they found? They found gladness. Joy will never come apart from a right relationship with God. So what must I do? I must seek him consistently. Man, consistently seeking the Lord. I see today that if we're going to find fulfillment and joy, we need to pursue him, pursue his plan. We need to, to seek him consistently. But secondly, we've got to separate to him continually. Hey, seek him consistently, but joy and fulfillment comes also as we separate to him continually. Notice verse 1 and 2 of Nehemiah chapter number 9. Now, in the 20 and fourth day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. When it says the 20 and fourth day, now we're to October 24th. October 24th. You know what this tells me? This tells me that for three weeks, three and a half weeks, They've just been seeking the Lord. For three and a half weeks, they've been pursuing God. For three and a half weeks, they've been getting in the word of God. For three and a half weeks, they've been uh, doing and following the, the word of God. But for three and a half weeks, since they've been hearing the word of God, they've also felt conviction. Do you see what it says there that the children of Israel, they were assembled? What were they assembled with? They were assembled with fasting, with sackcloths, and with earth upon them. 
What does this tell us? This tells us that they were coming now to God completely humbled. They were coming now to God with sackcloth. They would put this on as a, a way of saying, God, we recognize who we are and what we deserve. We don't deserve anything that you give us. And earth upon them, they would put ashes or dust upon their head. Basically, it's them saying, God, we are completely humbling ourselves before you. But then notice what the second verse says. It says, and then they separated themselves from all strangers. Now, I've said this many times, but really, we, we don't have the time on a Sunday morning to dive into every word and every meaning. I, I try to do my best as quick as I can, which isn't very quick sometimes. But the word strangers, when we hear the word stranger, we just think of, you know, somebody we don't know. You know, don't talk to strangers. That's kind of our, uh, a stranger, somebody we don't know. The word stranger in this passage would actually be many people that they did know. And well, what are you talking about, Pastor? Do you remember those of you that were here in our uh, story in the book of Judges, uh, the story Relentless, or the series Relentless, how God had told the people of Israel when they came into the promised land that you're going to come into a land that is inhabited by a bunch of enemies. You need to either drive out the enemies or destroy the enemies. That's what God told his people. Drive out the enemies or destroy the enemies. Don't live among them. If you live among them, you will pursue their gods. That's what God had said to the people of Israel. And you know what they did? They didn't destroy or drive out the enemy. And what is the book of Judges? It's a book literally where God's people are dwelling among the enemies of God, people who God gave them a chance to seek him, right? There are tons of enemies of God that are even in the lineage of Jesus because they turned to God. So don't let people tell you, well, God just was totally against them. No, God gave people a chance to turn to him, but these were those that had once said, God, no, we don't want anything to do with Jehovah God. So for generations, they were dwelling among people who were enemies of God, who had said, we don't want your God, we're gonna serve our gods. Those are the strangers that we read about in this verse. They were living among them. You know what the people finally got it? Finally got, finally the people got, we need to separate from this. We need, to, we need to begin obeying God and be separate from sin. That's what this is about. They were realizing who they were before God, sinners before God. And so what they do, man, they confess their sins and who else's sins? The iniquities of their fathers. Now, don't go off on some weird tangent. Oh, see, then we got to confess the sins of our fathers and hopefully we can get them out of you know, purgatory or something like that. That's not what this is. No, this is them recognizing. Listen, this is them recognizing, wow, for generations we have been away from you. For generations we have tried to find fulfillment and joy apart from you. For generations we have done our own thing. God, we're going to be the generation that breaks that. God, we're coming back to you. You know what they were doing in this passage? They were separating unto God, separating from wrong influences and sin to God. You see, when you separate, you've got to separate from something to something. That's what you have to do. And for us, we need to understand that we will only find the fulfillment and joy that God has for us when we separate ourselves from even the sin and strongholds in our life and become separate unto him. But can I say, this is a scary place for a lot of people, isn't it? You see, most followers of God are scared of being what I call all in. Most Christians are scared of that. We're fine living comfortable Christianity. You know, we're fine with being at church I'm fine with maybe even being at church every week. I'm fine with hearing a message. I'm fine with being convicted. I'm fine with that. But allowing my Sundays to affect my Mondays and who I am at work and my marriage and how I respond with my neighbors, that's a different story. Now, I just want to say this morning that when you and I separate from something, we've got to be separating to God. 
I won't find fulfillment and joy unless I'm saying, God, I wanna cling to you. Brian and Samantha are back there. Their little guy, of course, Brian does a great job with the music, but their little guy, little, little Brian, I think he'll be better than his dad with music. He's already singing. He's already doing all that stuff. You can, every now and then they'll be doing a practice and he's just sitting there, not really singing. He's just like, you know, putting noise out. But right now he's learning to walk. And many of you, you've walked through that with your kids, learning to walk. You know what a kid does when they're learning to walk? They cling to everything near them, don't they? Man, they cling to everything near them. And so we'll be here at church maybe, and we'll just be, I'll just use this for an illustration, be sitting right here, and little Brian, he comes right up next to this little stand or maybe to a table, and you know what he does? He pulls himself up. He pulls himself up. His knees are all wobbly, right? His, and he's there, and, and then Brian or Samantha will say, oh, everybody look. Everybody look. He's going to take a step. And usually that baby, they'll begin to get a little bit of footing and then everybody cheers. They're excited. But you know what? Watch, watch a baby who's learning to walk. They'll always hang on to something, don't they? Always hang on to something. So right here, be hanging on to this, hanging on to the table. Well, Brian could come to little Brian and say, all right, bud, take my hand. Come on, take my hand. Come on, take my hand. And little Brian's just going to cling that. Number one, he's like, I don't understand what you're saying. But after a while, he begins to get it. Oh, if I just hold dad's hand. You know what he's going to do? He'll probably just cling to this table. You know what? With a kid that's clinging to the table, they're not going to learn to walk very far. Why? They're staying in one place. They're not going to learn that there's a whole auditorium here that you could explore and walk around if you just simply take dad's hand and let him show you. You know what a lot of Christians do? We cling to our coffee tables. We cling to things in our life that we think are important. And God's saying, hey, separate from that and come to me. Join my hand and look at the amazing world that I have open for you. It's great pasture that you can go in and out and you'll find the life that's abundant. It's a fulfilled life when we separate from something to someone. Paul wrote it this way in 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I'll be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I wonder this week, what, what would your life look like if you would separate from some things to someone? God, I give you that compartment of my heart that I've been hiding. God, I give you my words this week. God, that spirit of bitterness that's been weighing me down, that coffee table that I've just been surrounding and just continually walking around and around again, God, I give, a, I give it up. I see this morning that if we're gonna find fulfillment, we've got to first Understand we find it as we seek him consistently, as we separate to him continually, but then thirdly and lastly today as we see him clearly. Verse number three, they stood up in their place and they read in the book of the law of the Lord, their God, one fourth part of the day and another fourth part, they confessed and worshiped the Lord, their God. I can't uh, talk through all of it. I just wish we could. But there's 24 hours in a day. You break that up into four parts. You've got six hours. So for six hours a day, they were engaged in Bible study. And then for six hours a day, they were engaged in confession and worship. 12 hours a day, just drawing their attention to the Lord. 12 hours that, man, you think I go long preaching for 50 minutes sometimes. Man, 12 hours, 12 hours in complete dedication to the Lord. Man, no wonder we read about God working. You know what they were doing during all of these hours? And, and again, I wish I could just expound upon all of this, but that feast that they, these feasts, the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of the, uh, the Tabernacle that they had been celebrating all these days, you know what it was to do? It was just drawing their attention to the Lord. And here we are 24 days in 
And day after day, you know what they're doing? They're just focusing their attention upon the Lord. But you know what they were understanding? The Feast of the Tabernacles was to remind them of all the things that God had done for them. That's what the Feast of the Tabernacles was supposed to do. Remind them of all the things that God had done for them. All the protection that he had given, had given them. Reveal in their heart the, the maybe sins and iniquities of the fathers in the sense of not seeking him. And for them to say, God, we remember what you've done for us. And we determine to, to follow you anew. It was completely about focusing their attention upon him. <clears throat> it was said that this was a time for the attention and focus to be completely upon the Lord as well as all he does and has done for his people. That's what this time was supposed to be. When you look at this passage, we can see joy throughout it. We can see the people finally experiencing what God had in store for them. We can see the people finally getting it. But you want to know one of the reasons, when I look at this passage, one of the reasons I see that they finally were getting it, one of the reasons they were finally finding fulfillment and joy it's because they were remembering who he was. You see, what you and I do, sometimes we have a blurred vision of God. Sometimes we look at God through what he hasn't done rather than what he has done. We look at God through the lens of like they could, well, God, you allowed Assyria to run us over. And then you allowed Babylon. Then you allowed the Medo-Persian Empire. And God, here we are in hundreds of years. God, and they could have looked at the negative. But instead, they looked back and they said, wow. But God, you provided for us. God, you brought us back into the land. God, we're remembering everything you have done. And you know what? In remembering who God was, they were beginning to see God more clearly. And in seeing God more clearly, they were understanding. They were understanding God. They were being closer to God. And I want to say it this way this morning, that one of the reasons we don't have a proper perspective of God is because we don't think about all that he, has, all that he does and has done. We don't see God clearly. Why? Because we look at him with blurred vision. We look at him with a vision that says, God, you didn't, rather than recognizing that, God, you did. See, the fact of the matter is that if you and I are going to experience what God has intended if we're going to have that fulfilled Christian life abounding with joy, then we have to get a proper view of God. And you know what we have to do? We have to let that view affect our next day. Now, here's, here's what I'll say and we'll be done. I think Sundays is a day that we get a proper view of God usually. You know, like you come to church and, man, we hear the music and we're like, yes, and we hear Pastor try his best to preach, and we're like, oh, okay, that was all right. But then we get fellowship, and we get encouragement, and man, it's just a good day, and we leave, and we're like, man, God is so good. And sometimes it even lasts until you go to bed that night. Sometimes it lasts until you hit lunch. Sometimes you get to the car. But either way, it's our perspective, right? We get a good perspective of God. We realize who he is, all he's done, what he's done for us. We realize how much he loves us. We realize all these things. But then it doesn't change our Monday. And I said it a moment ago, but I want to say it this morning, that my view of God on Sunday should permeate my Monday. Hey, God isn't just good today. He's good tomorrow too. And on Monday, it should permeate Tuesday, that God isn't just good on Monday. It should affect my Tuesday and my Wednesday and my Thursday and my Friday and my Saturday. Why? Because I'm remembering who he is. It's given me a clear perspective of what he's done and, and who he is and, and the relationship I can have with him. And you know what that does? It helps me realize I can keep depending upon him. And as I depend upon him, I find fulfillment from him. And as I find fulfillment from him, I have joy because of him. It all just kind of goes right in sync that if I neglect if I neglect my relationship with God, I miss out on fulfillment and joy. And that is what many Christians are doing. We're missing it. We're missing out. Why? Because we're neglecting the relationship. I want to say this morning that when we sit in the driver's seat of our lives and hearts, we miss what he has intended. On that day, on that Christmas, when Hannah gave me that money, I was definitely in the driver's seat. 
and I missed it. And I'll be honest, we've been married this year in just a few weeks, it'll be 17 years. I, I look back, and that's, that's one of the biggest things in my mind that stands out as like, Dennis, you are not that smart. <laughs> like, I really messed that one up. I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and say, God, I really messed that up because I was so selfish. God, I missed fulfillment. I missed joy because I didn't pursue you. God, I missed fulfillment. I missed joy because I didn't separate from some things to you. God, I missed fulfillment. I missed joy because I didn't focus upon you. God, I missed it because I neglected my relationship with you. Can I encourage you today to make the decision that this week is going to be a week where you don't miss it? This week, God, I'm going to seek you continually. This week, I'm going to separate to you. This week, I'm going to work at seeing you clearly. God, this week, I'm not neglecting my relationship with you. But I close this morning with this thought that maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here and the reason you can't find fulfillment from God is because you've never received Jesus into your life. I want to ask everybody this question. I want you to think about it personally. If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? You say, well, pastor, I'm a pretty good person. Can I tell you that being a good person will not get you to heaven? You say, well, pastor, I, uh, I've, been in, I've been in church my whole life. Can I tell you, my church can't get you to heaven. Your church can't get you to heaven. No church can get you to heaven. Well, pastor, I've been baptized. Baptism won't save you. The only way that you and I can know for sure we're going to heaven is if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, except through me. And so today, if you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, today you don't know for sure you're going to heaven. Why? Because the only way you can know for sure you're going to heaven is if you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, to come into your life and save you. If you just say, God, I realize, I realize that I need you. I put my faith and my trust in you alone. God, I recognize that I have, I'm a sinner, born into sin, but you died on the cross for my sin. And God, today, God, today, I turn from my way to yours. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.